Open your Bibles to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12 in the New Testament, please. It's my purpose to conclude our rather lengthy series on the Holy Spirit in the next weeks. <laughs> and we're going to conclude by uh, examining that aspect of the, of the Holy Spirit's work, and that is spiritual gifting and the ministries that uh, God has prepared for us as believers. So we're going to be talking this morning just generally, and, and generally I'm just I'm going to address questions that are typically asked about spiritual gifts. Any number of you have some understanding, some of you have more complete understanding of this subject, some of you may not know anything about it, but in any case, it, this is an important discussion for us. Next time, we're going to be looking at uh, how does one know their spiritual gift? What, how do I know what gift I have, and how does that translate necessarily into uh, actual ministry? Um, and so we're going to look at that next time, and then we're going to begin to look at all the gifts and define them. Uh, we'll look at some of them this morning, uh, not necessarily with great definition, but just identify them. Uh, we're going to spend some time on one particular gift because it is a cause of much confusion for many in the church. Can you think what that gift might be? The gift of tongues. That's always, if you've been in the church, and especially if you've been in the Pentecostal church or um, charismatic churches, there's always some measure of confusion about that, the exercise of it, what it is actually. So we're going to spend a, a good portion of time studying that one particular gift. You know, there was an interview of a, of a number one uh, college football team coach. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't Pete Carroll recently. <laughs> and he was asked, <laughs> he was asked, what contribution does college football make to the physical fitness of Americans? We such a tremendous emphasis on, on athletics and sports and so forth. And his answer was it makes, makes very little, if no, contribution whatsoever to the physical fitness of Americans. In fact, he says a, a college football game is happening uh, where there are 50,000 spectators desperately needing exercise, sitting in the stands watching 22 men on the field desperately needing rest. <laughs> I thought it was apropos, but it's a good illustration it's a good illustration, I think, uh, if we make reference to the life of the church. Uh, in, in not necessarily our congregation, but the church across the board. Uh, there are many, many Christians who have abandoned, if you will, if not abandoned, and certainly don't exercise and utilize uh, their giftings, and they basically just uh, uh, give over uh, the, the support, the function of the church to a few people, the elders and the pastors and so forth, when in fact every Christian is a minister. Did you know that? Turn to your neighbor and say, every Christian is a minister. Very important to know. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm a doctor. No, 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 you, you do your doctoring to put food on the table, but you're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ first. That's very, very important uh, distinction to maintain for all of us. I'm not just the, min the minister. All of us are ministers. 
And so it's important for us, and that, that analogy of the football coach and his remarks, I think, aptly describe the condition of uh, the church at large today. And uh, this morning we are going to look into the, begin at least to look into the theme of spiritual gifts and what they're about and answer some of the questions. And these are, these are basically uh, abilities that God has graciously given to each believer for the work of the ministry. It is absolutely imperative. When you think about the, the condition of the world, you think about the condition of, of people's lives and the function of the church. We're not just religious people. We don't just go to church as a dutiful exercise. Community is critical. Involvement is critical. Our lives, we've been tapped by God. We've been called by God, and we've been equipped by God to serve, not only in the context of the church, but to serve this world at large and see people's lives change. How many people know somebody who, who you would say they need God in their life and they need their life changed? Anybody know anybody like that? They're all around us, aren't they? There are many, Jesus says, there are many who are on that broad road, that road to destruction. And our part of our call is to call to them, to beseech them, get off that broad road to destruction, and get on the narrow way that leads to life. So in many ways, God has equip the church, and we're going to be looking at, at some of those ways this morning. My hope and prayer is that all of us would prayerfully consider what our gifts are personally and what is our ministry, what calling does God have for you in his scheme of things, in his plan, how does he want to include you? That's something you want to consider this morning. Now, in discovery of, of spiritual gifts, we always want to keep uppermost in our mind that God has given us these gifts for his glory. We exist for his glory. Our God is, is absolutely wonderful, beautiful, magnificent, glorious, perfect in every way. There's no flaws. He's not like any man. He never, ever fails. His truth is absolutely right and perfect. He is worthy of our glorifying him, isn't he? He's worthy of our praise. We, we have a thing in our culture called hero worship, don't we? we? We extol different people. We say, oh, wow, that person's really good. And then, and then we, we always talk about them. We, we speak of them in glowing terms. How much more God? As you begin to draw close to him and you begin to know him, you want him glorified. You want to tell other people about him. And that's part of our purpose this morning. So the first question we want to pose is, what are spiritual gifts? What are they? There are two different Greek words that the Apostle Paul uses for the term spiritual gifts. In the first verse of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, now about spiritual gifts or literally, now about spirituals. The word gifts that you see in your English translation is not there in the original Greek text. It's implied from the context. 
And the context is about these enablements, these giftings. And so the translator would very reasonably put the word gifts in there for us. He says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. That would be, by extension, he doesn't want any of us to be ignorant either. He uses the term pneumaticos, where you see the word spiritual. That translates, very simply, spirituals. Now, the gender could be either masculine or neuter. We would have to define that by the context. And again, the context, talking about spiritual gifts, so it would be spiritual things, or, if you will, spiritual gifts. You follow my logic here? So the first word he uses is pneumaticos. Now, the emphasis of that word is on the source of the gifts. The Greek word pneuma is breath or wind or spirit. So pneumaticos would be that given by the spirit. So the source of spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. The Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at verse 4, Paul writes there, now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. He uses a different word there. He uses the word charismata. Charismata usually translates grace. So, Paul, in using that word, these are grace gifts. Now, again, the word gifts is not in the text, in the English, in the Greek. It's supplied from the context. And it refers to the nature of how the gifts are given. They are given by grace, not merit. And again, this is something that we as fallible human beings struggle with, this whole idea of grace. You may know grace, okay, you hear the term, you have some understanding of it, but in reality, you find yourself striving to gain God's approval. I hope God is pleased with me. God is already pleased with you. On what basis? How can you say that? How can you say God is pleased with me if you're a Christian? Anybody? On the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ. He died on that cross. He bore all of our sins, all of our guilt, and all of our grief so that we could, by faith in Him, in His finished work on that cross, have a no-condemnation status with Him, so that when God looks at you and thinks of you and calls you by name, He never frowns, He always smiles, despite what you might think about yourself. And so He gives these gifts, not because we have accrued so much so many heavenly brownie points, he gives them simply by, by grace, as he wills. He already has determined and designed who gets what and where we fit. It's our challenge to walk in obedience and walk in faith. And we're going to talk and describe that this morning. Okay? So you combine those two terms, pneumaticos, charismata. A spiritual gift, then, is a divine ability given to believers by the Holy Spirit on the basis of what? Grace and for the purpose of service. Did Jesus come to be served or did he come to serve? To serve. So now if the church is now the body of Christ on earth, 
then the church's purpose is to do what? To be served or to serve? To serve. So we always want to be looking, how, God, do you want to use me? How may I serve? How may I serve? How may I serve? The gifts glorify God. The gifts advance the cause of Christ in the church and in the world today. How many gifts are there is another question. We don't know. I'm going to elaborate in the next week or two and and give you uh, just visibility of tons of these gifts. Uh, But this morning, we're just going to look at three, the three classic lists, if you will, in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 12 here, there are 13 gifts listed. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, now notice this, for the what? For the common good. It's, in other words, it's for the common good. It's not just for me to have, for me to do my own thing with it. It's for the common good. Now he, now he lists these gifts. He says, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of these tongues. And he says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So you have in that short list, you have approximately 13 gifts listed. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, you have another five gifts listed. In verse 7 of Ephesians 4, we read this. But to each one, now he's talking about members of the church, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then you drop down to verse 11, he says it was he, meaning Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So God has gifted certain people with these kinds of gifts, and he has given these gifted people as gifts to the church. And what is their purpose? To serve the church. How do they serve the church? Well, you look at the next verse. So that, or to prepare God's people for works of service. So it's these, these gifted people who help prepare and equip you, God's people, uh, all of us, for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be torn down, may be weak. What does it say? May be built up may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God is in the process by His Spirit working in us to transform us into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. True? Now He does that with the aid of all the members of the body. It's very imperative that we're all working and fulfilling the, the calling he has for us. Otherwise, we're not going to mature and we're not going to come to a place where we are more and more in the image of Christ. You can't do that on your own. We need one another. 
So you see five gifts there. Turn to Romans chapter 12. There's another eight gifts listed here. Now there's some crossover in these lists. And in some of the lists he, lists, he leaves out some that he includes in other lists. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, again, using the metaphor or the analogy of a body, a physical body with lots of parts, he applies that to the church, to the body of Christ. He uses lots of parts. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. In other words, my ear doesn't have the same function as my eye, right? He says, so in Christ, that's just simply his favorite way of describing a Christian. A Christian is a person who is in Christ, in intimate, inseparable relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member, now notice this, each member what? Belongs to all the others. You belong to me, I belong to you. We are interdependent. We need one another. We understand that just on the human level, on, on our, in our relational level, but how much more is that true spiritually speaking? We need one another. We need to be involved with one another. We need to be serving one another. You cannot be a Christian out here on your own. I'm always intrigued by the person who says to me, yes, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but you see, I, I don't go to any particular church. I, I worship out here in nature. And I said, well, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong because you, you have an incomplete understanding of what it means to be a Christian. The, the Bible says that we're part of a body. My arm doesn't go do what it pleases. It obeys the head. True? And so we are all necessarily to be involved in each other's lives, serving one another through the giftings that God has given us. Have I made sense about that? And so he says, he uses the analogy of a body. He does this in all of his passages about this, by the way. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. If you just drop down to the next verse, verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. In those three passages where he describes spiritual gifts, there is also attendance to that a discussion of love. Here it's a small discussion, 1 Corinthians 13. It's a much larger discussion. The point being is that these, these gifts are to function in the context of love, agape love. That's a servant kind of love. We know about that. And so uh, we don't know how many gifts there are. There are lots of them. Uh, some other examples, James chapter 5, Luke chapter 11, uh, speak of a uh, possibly a gift of intercession, intercessory prayer. You intercede for somebody uh, with God. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, both could be addressing a gift of celibacy, a, a literal spiritual gift that God would give uh, to enable you to not be distracted that way and you can serve God more fully. Acts chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, both address potentially a gift of martyrdom. There is a spiritual gift of martyrdom. Uh, you need to know about that. It, that is a one-time gift. Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 10, uh, both 
uh, potentially describe a gift of missionary, uh, that you're, you could be a gifted, gifted missionary, and God uses you in very, very unique ways. And again, these lists aren't comprehensive, and uh, other gifts are mentioned. We even have some visibility of, of spiritually gifted people in the Old Testament. One great example is found in the book of Exodus, Chapter 31, verse 3, God tells Moses of the gifts for a man named Bezalel. And Bezalel, as you remember, uh, would design the temple and, and, and oversee its construction. Uh, God says, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all kinds of craftsmanship. So there are the potential that there are all kinds of craftsmanship that could be uh, spiritual gifts. Um, Lisa Anders, I believe. <laughs> Lisa plays that violin, and I believe she has a spiritual gift of music. Everything she does musically, I mean, even in the secular world, even when she's up for a Grammy, still is, her focus is spiritual, and that that music would affect people spiritually. I believe that God has gifted her with a gift, a spiritual gift, of playing the violin. Now, I don't know that you'll find that actually in the Bible specifically, but I think by extension, uh, Pastor Allen. I think you'll agree with me. Pastor Allen has a gift for music, a gift for worship, and he can lead us. There are some of you who, who are gifted in these kinds of creative things that minister marvelously to the body of Christ. Some others of you think you're gifted in these areas. <laughs> And those need to be tested. <laughs> this question may arise, how can I tell it's a gift from God? Well, simply remember the definition. It's for the purpose of service. You will find yourself serving other people in that area of giftedness. And you might discover the giftedness simply because the fact is you're serving and you go, aha, maybe this is where I'm gifted because I find such joy and delight and ease and there seems to be a tremendous amount of fruit developed uh, because I have chosen to serve in this particular area. Another question, are all Christians, now listen to this, are all Christians to function in some of the gifts listed? What do you think? Yes. yes. For example... We are commanded in Scripture that all Christians are to evangelize. True? Now, you may not have the gift of evangelism, but we are to what? Be His witnesses. We call those Christian roles. I'll expand on this in a moment. So while there is a, a, a spiritual gift of evangelism, you may not be gifted that way, but as a Christian, you are still to embrace the role of evangelism and sharing your faith. The same thing could be said of giving. You may have a, a gift, as we saw in Romans, a gift of generosity, and, and God just pours resources through you. But even if you don't have that gift, should Christians still be generous? Yes. Absolutely. How about the gift of encouragement? What do you think? There is a spiritual gift of encouragement. There are people who have a very, very 
powerful gift to encourage. All you do is you just have to be around them and you feel encouraged. They don't even have to say anything to you. My wife has that spiritual gift of encouragement and she, she is continually, she gets the greatest joy out of encouraging people. And I, she, she just has that gift. But we are all to what? Encourage one another, aren't we? Even though you don't have a spiritual gift. There's a gift of helps. But you don't have to have that gift to help people, do you? Another question, or another statement, all are to function in some of these gifts listed in these passages. And for the sake of clarification, let me call them, as I said, Christian roles, not necessarily spiritual gifts. You will have giftings in certain particular areas which you will excel. Those are different from the roles. What, what spiritual gift, when I say this name, what spiritual gift would immediately come to mind for you? Billy Graham. Evangelism. evangelism. Okay. Billy Graham clearly is gifted as an evangelist. I mean, he preaches, evangelizes. Thousands of people are affected. Thousands of people are convicted. They want to make a decision for Jesus Christ. But there are those not necessarily gifted in evangelism who still see the fruit of their being obedient to share their faith. Isn't that true? All right. There are four things that gifts are not. Again, this is an area of some confusion for some, so let's bring some clarity. First of all, spiritual gifts are not the same as a Christian role. Now, we just talked about roles. These are areas in which all believers are to function. As Christians, we all have the same roles to play in serving God, but we also have differing gifts given to us by Him. Example, if you see your neighbor's house burning down, you don't refuse to go help your neighbor simply because you don't have the gift of firefighting. (laughs) Right? So gifts are not the same as roles. We all function in the roles, but we don't always function in those gifts. Number two, Uh, spiritual gifts are not the same as talents. We are born into this world with natural talents, natural abilities. God gives them to us. They're from birth, and they are to benefit mankind on a natural level. But spiritual gifts come directly through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life when we are born again. So when you're born, you're given natural talents, They help on the natural level. When you're born again, you receive spiritual gifts, which are designed to enhance the spiritual environment and other believers. Does a talent become a spiritual gift when you're converted? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know for sure. There are people, uh, for instance, teachers, very, very talented, and they can convey truth, they can convey facts, they can convey information, on a natural level, but that doesn't necessarily translate into the spiritual environment. They, in fact, may not be uh, possessed of the gift of teaching spiritually. Uh, They can teach over here, but they can't teach spiritual truth. Uh, The same is true, just the opposite. Um, You may have a gift of teaching apart from any natural talent. In other words, you've never taught anybody anything and you become a Christian and God could very, very simply and powerfully give you a gift of teaching and fit you into a teaching environment. And you've never taught in your world in anything. So it can work that way too. 
We don't know until we what? Experiment and uh, try to find out. Number three, spiritual gifts are not the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, nine qualities. How many know the nine qualities? What are they? Okay, thank you, Lisa. All right. She also has the gift of response. <laughs> Those are called the fruit of the Spirit. You, you don't have the gift of love, the gift of joy, the gift of peace, the gift of patience. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and they are expected of every Christian. As we walk with the Spirit, living spiritual lives, the Holy Spirit causes these things to be evidence in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of one's character, while the gifts of the Spirit are evidence of one's function. There's a critical difference between the two. They're not the same. Number four, spiritual gifts are not a counterfeit from Satan. I need to say this. There may be some people here this morning, you don't believe in Satan. You don't believe in a real personal devil. I'm here to tell you, he is real. You're not to fear him, but he is real. If he got you convinced he doesn't exist, then you know, you're, you're in a woeful situation. You need to read your whole Bible. Jesus said, back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, he says, false Christs and false prophets will appear and they will perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. Now, how are false Christs and false prophets going to perform miraculous things, do you think? By what power? Yeah, by the, by the power of the dark side, by the power of Satan, demons. And they do grant power. You sell out, you go over to that dark side, and there is such a thing as black magic. This is not just superstitious stuff. Some of it is, but there really is a power there that people will sell out for. It is demonic. Moses, remember back in the, in the book of Exodus, Moses performed great miracles, didn't he? But also Pharaoh's magicians performed many of those same miracles. By what power did those magicians of Pharaoh perform those miracles? I submit to you by, by evil, demonic, satanic power. So the question then would arise, well, how, how do we discern which gifts or miracles come from God? Answer, do the gifts glorify who? Do they glorify Jesus Christ? Do these glorify Jesus? You have to ask yourself this question continually. Is my life glorifying Christ right now? That's how you check yourself. Is my life glorifying Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit was given and the Holy Spirit came, Jesus' own words were, to glorify Jesus and the true spiritual gifts will glorify Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 14. He says, He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And we do the same thing. That's why we bring Him glory. Another question. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, 
Paul says, but to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Say that with me. For the common good. Peter writes in his epistle, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Beloved, the primary purpose is to edify, is to build up others, not to edify or build up ourselves or for self-glorification. The gifts are given so that the body of Christ, the church, might be built up and Christ ultimately glorified. Now, indirectly, you'll find that your life will be edified uh, by the use of spiritual gifts. Uh, because, for instance, an evangelist will see fruit come as a result of his ministry, and that is indirectly edifying. A teacher will see people growing, and that will, in, in, in an indirect way, bring some personal edification to his or her life. God gives gifts simply to serve others. What would you think of a person in the ministry who is given money, is given a sum of money to serve others, and then that person takes them. Let me just use Pastor Jeff as an example. How many know Pastor Jeff? Don't you love him? Sweet guy. <laughs> what, if we, what if we gave Pastor Jeff a certain amount of money and said, you've got to use this money to serve other people. And then we discovered later on that Pastor Jeff didn't use that money for that purpose. He hid it away for himself. What would you think of Pastor Jeff? Now, I know that's totally out of character with Jeff. But just for illustration's sake. What would you think of that? Would you be pleased to know that? Would you be saddened? Would you be frustrated? Might you be angry? Yes, absolutely. Well, we've given him money, but he's not sequestered away from himself. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that. But you see, the principle holds. It's the same thing with spiritual giftings. See, if, we, if you're not functioning of your gift, if you've sequestered it away, if you're not finding out what it is, it's the same thing that you're robbing the church. Because the gifts are meant to what? Serve others. Build up the church. It's just like money. You have to say, what are my gifts? For the church to work best, each person needs to serve in a place that utilizes his or her giftings. For the church to work the best. What if, what if, okay, we're, we're, Lord willing, we, we may build a new building. Okay, we may move. And what if God gave us carpenters, plumbers, masons, roofers, electricians, to build the physical building. And we told the plumbers to do the roofing, the electricians to upholster the furniture, the masons to plant the lawn, and the roofers to paint and lay carpet. How would it go, do you think? Yeah, there's, it's incongruous. We, we'd say, wait a minute, the roofers ought to be putting the roof on. The plumbers ought to be doing the plumbing. The painters ought to do the painting, right? But we got it all mixed up. To be effective, each person in the church must be encouraged, exhorted, allowed, if you will, to serve using his or her spiritual gift appropriately. This will allow for the fulfillment of God's calling in, the, in each believer's life. Each member of the church, 
Each member of the body of Christ has a special ministry or calling. Each one, each one of us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says before God formed the the world, before he, he called the world into existence, he already beforehand prepared works for us to do. And he has equipped us. He doesn't call you to do something without first equipping you and preparing you to do it. So we do that. We step out by faith, believing, God, you have equipped me. I'm going to step out. The the simplest way to do this is you look for a need and go fill it. Just look around for a need and go fill it. Now, don't assume that other people are going to see that same need. It may be that God has just revealed it to you. And so you go fill that need. In the process, you may discover, you know, this is where I'm gifted. This is where people are blessed. How do the gifts operate? Well, again, this is important. Spiritual gifts are not just for spiritual giants. That's important to know. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm I'm not a spiritual giant, so I probably don't have any gifts. No, they're not just for spiritual giants. Let me give an example Example of the gifts working in an everyday life situation. Imagine, if you will, seven individuals representing seven different spiritual gifts. And these seven individuals were at a singles potluck barbecue. And someone drops the dessert on the floor. Here is what each one of those seven people representing seven spiritual gifts might say. First, you have the person with the gift of prophecy. That person might say something like, I knew that was going to happen. (laughs) That's predictable, isn't it? You might have the person with the gift of giving say something like this, I'll be happy to buy a new dessert. Spontaneously. Then there's going to be the person with the gift of teaching. That person might say something like this, the reason that fell was because... And then there's a person with a gift of exhortation. That person might say something like this. Next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. And then there's the person with the gift of administration. Jim, would you get the mop? Sue, please help pick it up. Mary, help me fix some other dessert. So you got always somebody back there organizing, administrating. And then you've got the person with the gift of helps. They might say something like this. Oh, let me help you clean it up. And then lastly, you have the person with the gift of mercy. And this person would say, don't feel badly. It could have happened to anyone. You see? There's how, without really even being aware of it, people are functioning in an everyday situation, in their giftedness, to address a situation that only the person with the gift of prophecy foresaw. Here are seven facts concerning the distribution of spiritual gifts. Number one, you have at least one gift that's given to you at salvation. Even the newest believer has one. Paul says this in verse 7 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He says, but to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Verse 11, the Spirit distributes to each one. 
Verse 18, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them. Back in Ephesians 4, 7, but to each of us. And again from 1 Peter, each one should use whatever gift he has received. So very clearly, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. I want to suggest to you, number two, you, have, you probably have more than one. You probably have a gift mix, as witnessed by Billy Graham. Billy Graham probably he has clearly the gift of evangelism, a teaching gift, a preaching gift, an administrative gift. I'm sure he has a gift of mercy and compassion and so forth. So I think all of us have more than one gift. And given the situation, one gift may take precedence over another. Uh, and there will always be supportive gifts. So you have at least one. Number three, you will not have all the gifts. There's some people who teach that every Christian has all the gifts. Clearly, uh, that is not so. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, all are not apostles, all are not teachers, all are not healers, etc. So we have, we have individual gifts. He says in Romans 12, 4, for as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So all of us have different giftings. Number four, your gift, this is important, your gift is absolutely essential to the efficient functioning of the body of Christ. Why? Because you're part of the body. How many want all the parts of their body to be actively functioning? How many want their brain to be functioning? Before, before putting mouth in gear, right? How many want their heart to be functioning? Their hands. We want all the parts to be functioning. If all the parts are functioning, then the body is going to be functioning at optimal level. True? The same analogy holds true for the church. Every one of us is absolutely essential. You cannot sit back and say, well, you know, I'm not really anybody and and, and, and I just don't really. No, no, no. You need to get involved. Number five, each gift can be used for different ministries. There's varieties of ministries, Paul says. And number six, each gift will have different effects. There are different kinds of workings or different kinds of effects of these gifts. So you can't always predict how the gift is going to work and how the, what the effect is going to be and the degree to the effect. The person gifted in teaching may function as a mother and can influence two people. Another person may be gifted and in, in, in a Sunday school setting as a teacher and influence 20 people. Another person may uh, be gifted as a teacher in a larger uh, venue as a pastor or teacher and may be able to influence 200 or more people. So the, the workings and the effects of those gifts, the gifts are the same, but the environment and the effects may be different. Are you with me? Greater effect... Greater effect does not mean that a person is more spiritual. Get that. Greater effect does not mean that a person is more spiritual. In fact, no one is more spiritual because their gift or type of ministry or effect, uh, it's not a matter of more spiritual. It's a matter of what is my gift and am I functioning in my giftedness and my calling. Number seven, the distribution of the gifts, ministries, effects are totally given by the sovereign work of God's Spirit to each one of us, Father, Son, and Spirit.
How long do we keep our gifts? That's another question. Most likely for life. There's an interesting verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. It says, God's gifts and his calling are irreversible. Now the context of that passage speaks about Israel. God's calling of Israel, his election of Israel, his purpose for Israel. So God's calling, his gifting of Israel is irreversible. But there's a principle, I believe, that's applicable that you can extract out of that verse that you could apply to us as believers, as Christians, and we could indeed believe that God's gifts to us and his calling to us are irrevocable. They're irreversible. You've been called by God. You've been called by God. You've been gifted by God. You've been gifted by God. A gift, remember, is freely given. It's freely given and is not meant to be taken back. Example, again, the parts of our body are meant to be permanent, are they not? I want my arm to be there permanently. The gifts are meant to be in the body permanently. Not, God is not a heavenly Indian giver. He gives the gifts and he takes them back. God is not capricious that way. He has a design, a purpose, a will, and he means for us to fulfill that will. The gifts, again, are given according to grace, not merit. Some gifts may take prominence over others at different times. And some... Gifts may, in fact, be dormant against God's will. Listen to Paul's instructions to young Timothy. He says, do not neglect the gift that was given to you. The implication is there are people who are going to neglect their gift. He says, don't do it. In another place, he says, stir up that gift. Not only just not neglect it, stir it up. Use it. Let it be effectual. Now there's four ways of abusing spiritual gifts. The first one is forbidding their use. Simply forbidding their use. There's, there are people in, in the Christian church and in denominations and churches and such that teach that uh, uh, the supernatural gifts are done away with. Prophecy, um, tongues, healing, those kinds of things in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, and they say they're, they're, they're no longer necessary and available uh, because when the, when the apostles all died and when the, 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 the canon of the scripture was completed, in other words, you had the whole Bible once finished, we don't need those other gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and so forth. I don't subscribe to that. I believe the gifts are still active and still available. In fact, Paul says, uh, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, plural, and if you go back to the Greek text, it's in the present continuous tense. There's no limitation on it. Continue, continue to desire spiritual gifts. And he says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. Again, it's a continuous thing. Uh, tongues is not meant to, to just simply pass away. So that's one way you can forbid their use. Number two, uh, another way to misuse them is gift projection. Have you ever, you've ever looked at somebody and admired somebody and then wanted to be like them. You know, we do that, don't we? We have, we have we are our heroes and people we admire. We say, I want to be like that person. Well, there's not necessarily anything bad about that, but sometimes we take it overboard and we try to make ourselves into that person. And we model ourselves. That's a bit extreme, would you agree? 
We do the same thing with giftings and, and abilities, spiritually speaking. We, we read an, a biography and we, we really admire the person we've read about. And, you know, we hear someone or we watch somebody and, and we try to take on their persona and their giftings. And, and we totally neglect and ignore our own. So that's one way that you can abuse spiritual gifts. You must thank God for people in your life who are gifted people and with the understanding that they have ministered faithfully with the gifts God has given them and you minister faithfully with the gifts God has given you. There's another way is that's over-specialization. And that's just another way of saying, uh, you know, I'm just only going to function in this narrow area of gifting and forget about the roles. Remember my illustration of the, the house burning down? You know, I'm not a firefighter. I have the gift of firefighting, so therefore I can't help you. No. Number four, disorderly use. Is our God a God of order or disorder? Order. order. He's trying to bring order out of chaos, right? Your life is chaotic. He's trying to save you from the chaos of your life and the chaos of hell and death. And so he's trying to save you from that. And when you do respond and you do come in faith, guess what? Your life starts to make sense. It starts to take on order. The same thing's true in the life of the church. God does not mean for the church to be a group of chaotic people all doing their own thing. We're to be a unified body working together. He tells us everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So when the church is gathered together, no one is to function in his or her gifting in a way that unnecessarily draws attention to themselves. And that's something that's notorious in some environments where people do that. The congregation is to be, if I can use this analogy, a worshiping choir, not a bunch of soloists. Get the point? Make sense? Now there's some wrong attitudes towards gifts. Number one, arrogant pride. People can really be prideful about their gift. Well, I've got the gift of thus and such, and look at me. And they're on display continually, and it produces actually no fruit at all. So beware of arrogant pride. Number two, feeling superior. Same kind of idea. Feeling superior. Well, I have the gift of thus and such, and my gift is greater than your gift. No, there's no greater, lesser in that sense. They're all essential. False humility. That would be another wrong attitude towards gifts. False humility would be evidenced by someone who says, who knows their gifts? Well, I don't know what gift I have, you know. Give me a break. <laughs> another wrong attitude would be feeling inferior. Like your gift doesn't count, doesn't matter. Well, I'm, I'm just a little toe. Yeah, but you're important. I want my little toes to be working and they're on the feet. <laughs> Don't feel inferior. Another wrong attitude would be looking for an experience or excitement just for the sake of the experience and the sake of the excitement. And again, there are people who do these things. Very often they surround the more spectacular uh, charismatic gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Jesus said this about that, by the way. He said, it's an adulterous generation that asks for a miraculous sign. doesn't mean you can't ask God to heal you and bless you and, and do something wonderful for in your life. 
but it's the motivation. I want to see the miraculous because it's spectacular. Get my point? That's a wrong attitude. Number six, being discouraged if you can't discover or identify your gift. That's a wrong attitude. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to be discouraged. We're told to live by faith. We're told to to step out in faith. It's only when you step out in faith are you going to be encouraged and you're going to begin to see where you fit into the body of Christ. Don't just sit there, suck on your thumb, say, well, I don't know what my gift is, and I'm, just, I'm so bummed out, I'm discouraged. Everybody knows what their gift is, but they don't, I just don't know mine. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't come to me and say that to me. <laughs> I will very lovingly, graciously work with you. Number seven, gift projection. We talked about that. That's very simply projecting someone else's gift, calling, ministry on yourself. And you end up despising your gift, calling, and ministry. Very important. Now here's some proper attitudes towards spiritual gifts. We'll close with this. Number one, be content with whatever gift God has given you. Be content. God, thank you for gifting me. It's a unique gifting Be content, thank him and praise him for it and function in it. Number two, be humble. Remember that the the gift is given by grace, not merit. You don't deserve it. It's something God has sovereignly designed you for and designed for you, for you to function in. Receive it with humility and thankfulness. Number three, be Holy Spirit empowered. In other words, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Trust the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own flesh. Sometimes I think we, we, we think we have to make this thing happen. We have to make something happen. No, 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 no. Let the Holy Spirit do it. You do what's possible. Let God do the impossible. Right? You do the possible. You just go be available to serve. You just go take a step of faith. You start to serve and let God bring the effect Sometimes we try to bring the effect, and when the effect doesn't happen, we get mad because people don't respond the way we wanted them to respond. Am I making sense? That just tells you you're functioning not in the spirit, you're functioning in the flesh. When you're ticked off, when you're offering your gift or your service or whatever, and it's not being received or it's not functioning or it's not producing the fruit, you want it to function. You need to take a step back and evaluate <laughs> You simply go, how? Humbly, graciously, simply by faith. Offer, serve, minister, and trust that God is going to bring the effect. Have a servant's heart, number four. Remember, the gifts are what? To serve others. Have a servant's heart. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. That's what we're called to. We're called to serve, not to be served. This is good for, for husbands and wives, right? Sometimes husbands lose perspective and they want to be served. Sometimes the wives want to be served. And you hear the snapping of the fingers. Never happens in our house. My wife serves me marvelously. And I receive that service. 
so wonderfully graciously. But then that convicts me to guess what? Turn around and serve her. We've, I think we have it figured out. Number five, have a team attitude. Have a team attitude. That I cannot function by itself, neither can or should a Christian function by themselves. We are on the same team. Have a team attitude. We're in this together. We need one another. We belong to each other, Paul says, right? And lastly, be motivated by, what do you think? Love. 1 Corinthians 13. Be motivated by love. So that's an overview of spiritual gifts. Some of the questions that are typically asked about it. For some of you, it's a good review. Others of you, it's new information. Next time, we're going to talk about how one actually does discover their gift. So this will be helpful to people who don't know what their gifting is. It'll be helpful for people who know what their gifting is to reaffirm for you uh, some of these things. Now, what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, okay? And I want you to encourage your neighbor to not, what? Not what? <laughs> Don't get up. <laughs> to not suppress the gift, but what? To stir it up. Okay? Encourage your neighbor, stir up that spiritual gift. Because everyone, if you're a Christian, you have it. Stir it up. <laughs>